Here, I, I've got an experiment for you. Safety glasses on. By the end of this century, if emissions keep rising, the average temperature on Earth could go up another four to eight degrees. What I'm saying is the planet's on fucking fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the fuck up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? Safety glasses off, motherfuckers. Welcome to the Legendaries. I'm your host, Lawrence. My co-host, Rowling, cannot be here today. Unfortunately, we had a bit of technical difficulties in which we lost well over an hour of content, perhaps an hour and a half. And he is on a very busy schedule, so he's not able to reprise his role as co-commentator on the things I say. Which is a huge disappointment because there are a number of issues in which he gave good critiques and good opinions on. But just to go straight into this, we are switching to a Tuesday format, which will release between 8 and 10 in the morning, depending on how much time it takes me. Sometimes I do these late at night. You know, we're both busy people and uh, podcasting is not our profession. And we're hoping to jump into that arena but it's it's a long it's a long fight uh getting more people getting followers fans and i hope you like it personally i hope you like it right now we're focusing down on entertainment um now that kind of means movies tvs right but you know our passions and our interests spill over into other arenas. You'll you'll hear us talk about games. In fact, the very first segment is going to be about a game, a bit of controversy in a game. But you'll see us touch on D and D. You'll see us touch on board games. Um, you'll touch. We'll touch a little bit of everything. What we won't touch on is you know news. We previously we did. I even did a bit of a skit with the subway vigilante thing. You know. We're trying things out, right? We're trying... Podcasting is new to us. We've only been doing this for, what, a month and a half, two months, something like that? Um, all right, let's just dive straight into this. Let me explain a little bit of how our podcast works. Now, we take multiple different news segments and we mash them together and we go through them one by one. Now, it's usually the most popular news of the week. Right now, the biggest or one of the biggest things going on is a controversy between David Eddings and Randy Pitchford. Now, David Eddings plays Claptrap. What the devil I worship him? A deadly creature? Some Hyperion murder bot? Oh, bloody hell. 
Now, David Eddings is the voice actor of Claptrap and former Gearbox vice president of licensing and business development. And there's been a bit of dispute because of pay. He insisted on getting paid for his previous performances, which were basically all on the house. From my understanding and from what has been put out into media, because David Eddings was a salaried employee, Randy Pitchford expected him to do it pro bono, which apparently David Eddings was okay with during the first Borderlands but when Borderlands 2 occurred, he wanted more. He wanted at least to be paid for his royalties in the past work. Now, moving on to Borderlands 3, it's grown to be much more of an issue. Randy Pitchford tweeted, there was no force. He wanted it and reveled in it. The issue today is Mr. Eddings is bitter and disgruntled about having been terminated. He was offered two times scale. He refused. I don't want him to do it unless he wants to do it, as motivation affects performance. In response to that tweet, Eddings goes into a multi-tweet response. It goes into allegations about past royalties that he still owed and refers to a $12 million settlement that was siphoned away from the employee royalty pool by Mr. Pitchford. Oh my God. These are human beings with lives and families and ah, totally kidding. Screw those guys. Now, there is also incredibly an accusation of Pitchford assaulting him. One of the incidents Eddings describes is kind of just very strange. Uh, I personally would still consider this assault. While Eddings waited in a sound booth to perform as Claptrap, as part of a tour for former 2K Games president Christoph Hartman, Pitchford entered the booth. He pulled off Eddings' headset and gave him a wet willy. After that, he jumped back and he cackled at me, Eddings said. Christoph and I are looking at each other like, what just happened? Now that to me is assault. If you place your hands upon another person and they are not a willful participant, that is technically assault. It is legally assault. Now, people play together and there is this friendship vibe that kind of goes on when people are shoving each other or, you know, whatever nonsense that you might do at work or in private. And the fact that Randy Pitchford basically thinks he's so far above the law, above the social norms, uh, it's Pitchford for himself, and he's got weird behavioral issues, clearly, right? Now, Eddings alleges a far more serious assault that took place in 2017 Game Developers Conference at the Marriott Marquee Hotel. Now, he gets word that there's an ongoing lawsuit between Gear Gearbox and another party. He approaches Pitchford about it. Pitchford demanded to know where he got that information. Eddings says that he shoved the fuck out of me while I'm on the balls of my feet trying to whisper. He knocked me back four steps. I believe I caught him in a deception. Now, we go on to know that 
Pitchford had actually stashed his $12 million into a company. And I say allegedly because we are still finding out information about this as it goes on. There's very clearly something crazy going on here, right? There's This is not usual behavior. There's deception, perhaps even fraud involved here as the... CEO Randy Pitchford has stashed away this money that they got. And they're now this money was supposed to go back to the employees for royalties for the games that they already developed. Now, what's very interesting is there are multiple witnesses to this encounter. One told Newsweek that he noticed Eddings was very upset about what he describes as an altercation with his boss. The other is a Gearbox co-founder, Landon Montgomery. He pretty much confirmed the allegations, saying David leaned up to whisper something to Randy, and out of the blue, Randy shoves him hard. And later on, shortly after this incident, in fact, Eddings says he was rage-fired for refusing to reveal his source. Despite all of that, which is insane... Eddings said he would return to reprise the role of Claptrap as soon as Randy makes a public apology to me and pays me the royalties I'm owed. And we know that Randy Pitchford is fucking stuck up. He's a complete ass. If anybody's followed him on Twitter, half the things he says about Epic and Steam are blatant lies. Easily found out by anybody with a little bit of time on their hand that most of his claims are false. And here we have another situation in which two parties claim two stories and we're going to have to go automatically go with Eddings, right? Uh, Randy Pitchford is just a known liar at this point. There's nothing that he says is ever correct. He embellishes, he lies, and he might be committing fraud or something. Who who knows? I mean, you can't, right? You can't just take $12 million, put it in your private company's bank account when that money was supposed to go to employee royalties. And it's a shame. It's a true shame. There are well over 400 employees who work for Borderlands. They make a great product. They are doing their due diligence to work hard. And now you got these allegations flying around. And I hope somebody from that employee pool steps up and sues Randy Pitchford. There is no way that he is entitled to that $12 million solely. There, I mean, that is insane. This guy is a complete ass, and it just keeps developing more and more. So, the next bit of news is about Matrix 4. Now, this is interestingly coming from the original Matrix screenwriter, Zach Penn, who took to Twitter to clarify various rumors. Now, he at first says that no one could or should reboot the Matrix. People who know Animatrix and the comics understand. Now, he goes on to say he can't comment on the various aspects of things, but that the words reboot and remake are from an article. 
Let's stop responding to inaccurate news. Now, there has been more and more news coming out about this project. Uh, THR said they are not involved with the project. Now, there have been reports coming from John Wick Chapter 3 director Chad Staleski, who told Yahoo Movies UK that the Wachowski siblings, or sisters, are working on a fourth installment. And he said he is super happy that the Wachowskis are not just doing a Matrix, but they're expanding what we all love. Beyond what's said, and there is very little to go on, we don't know what's going to happen as far as a Matrix 4. It's very, to me personally, it's a little confusing how they would expand the universe. It sounds like Keanu Reeves is already tied into this project and the expanding of this universe. Now, does that mean that this is the second coming of Keanu Reeves? If anybody's watched The Matrix and has followed the lore, the Neo character is very much kind of a weird Jesus figure. So every time, every once in a while, he's resurrected and they go through this whole process over and over. Uh, at least that's my understanding. So is he being resurrected? Is the Neo a Neo Neo? Is he a new Neo or is this a prequel is there's so many questions you could put in there. Keanu Reeves has said, I think when you get to revisit a story and continue to tell a story, you're bringing in the past and the work that you've done. So for me, it's about placing the emotional state of where you are into who the character is. How do they feel? How do they think? And then putting on the suit. If the costume really becomes the exterior that you fill in. So this is going to be very interesting. I'm a huge sci-fi guy. Now, I loved the first Matrix movie, but they kind of went a little downhill each one thereafter. But they were still all great. And graphics have advanced since then. The idea of doing... I could only imagine what the Matrix would look like now as versus then... You know, when he did the weird Matrix Kung Fu stuff, you could definitely see there was CGI involved. Nowadays, CGI is almost hard to even tell, right? This would be very interesting. There's definitely, this is definitely something to keep an eye on if you're into sci-fi, if you're into the Matrix. With that bit of movie information about the Matrix 4, we move on to Paramount Pictures. And they have already dated Chris Evans' past lives drama, Infinite, for 2020, August 7th, which is a very interesting take. Chris Evans has been mostly an action character. The range of emotions and dramas that he's played have been fairly limited. We haven't seen him a lot in major roles, except for Captain America, as far as I'm aware. Now, he did play in Scott Pilgrim's vs. the World, and he did a good job as a weird skater guy, but he hasn't really done any major dramas. So it would be very interesting to see how this turns out. 
Now, Chris Evans is playing as a character, a young man who is haunted by memories of two past lives. And then he stumbles upon centuries-old secret society. Now, it almost sounds maybe horror-ish. We really don't know too much other than we know it is a drama. Paramount is also putting out Coming to America, which will be very interesting eddie murphy just really hasn't been on a lot lately i mean his most recent work is dolmite is my name for netflix about comedian rudy ray moore and eddie murphy's comedy has really changed over the years i don't know i think this is just a personal opinion i feel like everybody who has a kid Suddenly their comedy changes, they reflect on a lot of their choices, their risque and more adult-natured humor just changes. You know, they've, they adapt to a new world that they have created for their kids. Um, you see with Wes Craven, is movies stop being so, you know, horrific um, you see it with Eddie Murphy. You see it with a lot of people. Um, people change. Um, but it, it's still... I. It will be interesting if Coming to America still holds up the same appeal that it did when it was first released. This sequel, whatever it may be, you know, it could be interesting. But I have low expectations. Very low expectations. Alright, so the last bit of information that I'm going to bring you is about Bethesda's Elder Scrolls Online and D&D. Now, Bethesda has put out a promotional product to show off their Elsewhere expansion for their Elder Scrolls Online. But the thing is, it is so close to a D&D product from 2016. Now, D&D put out this piece as part of their organized play program. And me and Roland, my co-host, have actually played through this module. So it's, to us, this, this is a little obvious, but I'm going to read these to you directly. Now, the first piece is the introduction to the Black Road. And it reads as, There's nothing like the desert to make people feel small and insignificant. In every direction, huge dunes roll across the landscape, and an even bigger sky looms above. The oasis of Irithyll is a motley collection of sun-bleached tents in the vast Orak Desert. Through various means, it has been arranged that you would meet Azam, the caravaneer in the large Kalashan style tent that passes for a tavern here. A pair of thieflings who seem to be unaffected by the heat, I approaching visitors warily. The dim interior of the tent is a relief from the bright light and wind, though it's as hot here as anywhere else. The gentle sound of a stringed instrument fills the air, and the people inside are hunched over food, drink, and conversation. A dragonborn with rust-colored scales greets you and guides you to a private table. There are a few other adventurers here. Now let's skip over to Elsewhere's introduction. 
Nothing beats the desert to make people feel small and unimportant. In every direction, enormous dunes roll across the landscape, and an even larger empty air skies above it. The oasis on the border between Cyrodiil and elsewhere is a colorful collection of sun-drenched tents in the vast desert of elsewhere. In various ways, it is arranged that a group of adventurers would get acquainted with a caravan leader named Karim. His big tent is filled with several Khajiit, which seem unaffected by the heat. They stare at you cautiously. The dim interior of the tent is a relief compared to the bright sunlight from outside, even though it is still as hot inside as it is out there. The soft sounds of stringed instrument fill the air, and the people are busy over eating, drinking, and conversation. An Argonian servant escorts you to an empty table. I'll tell you one thing. I, I don't know if you've decided whether the two are similar or not, but the second is written a little poorly, even though it's almost an exact copy. Some of the collections of words just don't roll out of the mouth like the other one. But if you still haven't decided, you, you think, yeah, okay, they're similar. I'm, Right? Things can be similar. Like, you know, deserts. It's not like there's only one desert in the world. Right? There's not one book about deserts. There's not just the book Dune. There's other books out there that have similar contexts and similar things. All right. So if you haven't been convinced that they are exactly the same, we're going to move on to a bit of a description of a caravan that the players can encounter in the Black Road. On the black road, the characters come upon four wagons, each pulled by two foul-tempered camels. One wagon carries the caravan's food, one carries the water, shipments of medicinal herbs, and one wagon carries a shipment of weapons, one carries the statue. Now, it's identical to the caravan that players run into in Elsewhere, which is described as four carts, each pulled by two horses instead of camels. One cart carries all food, one cart carries all water and medicines, one cart carries a large load of weapons, one cart carries the statue. Now, it's exactly the same. It's plagiarism through and through. Now, these are just a few examples of the ridiculous similarities between the two adventures. It's very clear it's a plagiarism case here, right? Bethesda has responded to the allegations of the plagiarism by pulling the content. They have said that they're digging deeper to figure out what happened, but in the meantime, we've pulled the adventure based on what has been brought to light. Now, nobody from the Wizards of Coast has even responded other than Paige Littman, who is a co-author for the adventure The Black Road. Now, she went through a lengthy Facebook thread titled How They Plagiarized Their Adventure, an annotated PowerPoint presentation in which she highlights overwhelming examples of how the two are similar. And then she even goes on to present a little threat, really. I mean, I don't know if it's a threat, but it's a clear indication that she is not happy. She says, hey, the Elder Scrolls Online, would you please let your legal team know, she writes, this is really not cool. Now, 
this whole case is interesting. It's it's crazy. I mean, how did it get to this point? How did they post this up as if it was theirs, right? Now, it's been said that this product comes over from our friends over at Bethesda Netherlands, which... Now, this could be a weird circumstance where a DM's material was used without their permission, maybe? I, I'm trying to spin it as best I can, but it's hard to come up with any solution that would reach this level of fuck-up. You know, this level of plagiarism is just insanely close I mean, somebody literally just stole the author's work, rewrote it, and then claimed it. And it's weird. This is a large corporation. You would think somebody would know. Obviously, they play D&D, right? So it's weird. It's a weird situation. It's bizarre. It's fucking bizarre. How did they get to this point? How did they not know? How did they not vet it? It's weird. All right, now we're going to do a little bit of a review on a game. Now, somebody was nice enough to send this game to us to be reviewed. And I am so sorry. I just haven't had a chance to even freaking review it and put it in. Because we switched over to doing movie reviews and TV show reviews for so long that there just wasn't a segment like we normally do which is a multi-segment cast like the one you're listening to so i haven't been able to fit it in anywhere and i am so sorry to the developers of hyper parasite for that snafu but i am going to correct that now so listen to the trailer and i will jump into it they're after you, in a global hunt into the darkest corners of the 80s. Will you be the prey? Or the hunter? I fist f this gun! Planet and the parasite with it! Right, so Hyper Parasite, it's a twin stick shooter from an Italian indie outfit, Troglobites Games, and they were very nice to us to send us this. And it's a very good game. It's a roguelite kind of take. Um, it's very 80s nostalgic, which is fucking fantastic. It's got aggressive synth beats. It's kind of weirdly cyberpunk, neon tones, uh, 
unique fashion design the game from an artistic standpoint is fantastic just from that alone but it's very nostalgia it's it reminds me of old games that i've played um old or you know what it really reminds me it reminds me of being in an arcade with all the fucking neon lights surrounding you and just being locked into your arcade cabinet and going at it it's it's that kind of game and the game is very procedural um which is great um if you die you come back and you come back to the level you'll the level will be completely different it's it's nice sometimes maybe i i you know i feel like some of the levels are easier than others and i'm sure that's supposed to be the case it's it's very random and the big trick to the game or unique aspect is you play as a blob and you know literally like the 80s blob movie that weird creature except you don't absorb people and grow bigger and bigger no instead you are a parasite and you you can lock onto other targets and take over their body now each person you take over has their own unique play style if you take over a cop, for instance, you'll get the pistol and you'll get to shoot um, people with your pistol. And you get the ultimate ability, which increases your bullet size. And it's very neat. It's a very neat concept. Everybody's got their unique powers. You take over a bum, you get to ram people with the bum's cart. You know, it's really weird. And it's hard to describe without actually playing. The graphics... You know, again, fantastic. The soundtrack is fantastic. You know, I have a confession to make. I'm not a huge roguelite player. I, you know, these are old arcades, arcade games. I feel like I'm too old to play them anymore, to be honest. Right? When I was young, I had the, the agility, the mental quickness to play these kinds of games. And this is a little, it's a little difficult for me but that might not adhere to you, right? Um, there are some issues with it. If you take over a character that has melee, right? It's a game that requires dodging projectiles. Like, there's a lot of shooting involved in it. You'll see bullets flying out, spraying out. And one of the biggest and most important thing is to maintain distance with all the ranged weapons in order to survive. Well, if you take over a melee guy, you have no choice but to close in and then you end up dying. And if you do die as a possessed character, you just turn into the blob again. But that leaves you within a short distance of a ranged fire weapon. And it's, it's, there's, that's a little difficult. I, I think the melee characters need more life. Maybe they do get more life further in. I didn't get to play the whole game. I didn't beat it. Uh, the boss battles, though, are freaking nuts. I like the If you get to the very first one, even, um, just constant shooting, constant dodging. I felt, like, I felt like I didn't make my character powerful enough. Uh, power, or the damage that you do, is very important. I, I, I almost consider it more important than the other stats. Um, but I'm not a pro at the game, but that's what I felt when I was playing it. Um, you know, it's, it's almost, 
it's a very dodge bullet heavy game and it's a unique game it has its own unique mechanics and there's a progression in there you kind of unlock new characters as you level up there's like a shop which is fuck i love games i love old classic games that have the shop i like you play Contra or any other kind of game that had kind of little mini shops in them. I don't think Contra actually had a shop. Not I think about it. I'm thinking about another game, but there's a lot of old games that had shops in them. You walk in, remember Zelda? You buy things in the shop and then you use. This is the same thing. You know, you walk in, you buy cool stuff, and and it affects gameplay, and that's great. I I love you know modifiers. Things that change, kind of update the mechanics, and it it feels great. It's just there's probably a little heavy difficulty for an older folk like me. Um, you know, I'm not saying I can't shoot you in the face in an FPS, but play, playing a roguelite is is different and. It's unique. It's dual analog. You definitely need a controller. I feel the the mouse and keyboard is not the way to play it. Okay, and just to wrap it up, you know, in case you wanted to know about the story a little bit, it's it's nearing the end of World War Three. The Earth, you know, is trying to take a break from this apocalyptic war that has happened. You this disgusting parasitic organism has begun to take over the hosts of unsuspecting human beings and consuming them um and it's spreading you're spreading with vengeance uh martial laws have been declared to make way for a global hunt you know battle-hardened law enforcers have made allies of degenerate criminals and they are seeking you out trying to destroy you and paranoia is rampant because you could be anybody right um it's a unique it's a unique game i fucking love their art design i don't know who did their art but damn it's good looking like especially the promotional material but um yeah it's a great game I, i'm rating the games just on a worth it or not worth it you know, right now, this is in early access, which means it can only get better, but it's always up in the air. It could go worse, right? Um, it does have local co-op. It has shared and split screen. Definitely controller, controller, controller. Um, give it a shot. It's it's a good game. $10.99 on Steam, early access. All right, so that's me signing off. I hope you liked it. This is kind of, it's not typical. You know, typically we would have Roland commenting or discussing various aspects of things. And he's missing today. And that's, that's a huge disappointment to me because we already recorded it. It's just all missing. It's just another one of those days, you know. If you listen to our last episode, Game of Thrones, it's a train wreck. I'm sorry about that. We just didn't really get to editing. I suppose I could just go back and edit it, but I feel like I got to leave it up for posterity purposes just to see where we came from. 
I'm hoping someday in the future that everything will improve and be better. And um, if you've been listening, I think it has improved over the time. Um, you know, Game of Thrones, by the way. Let's talk about that for a few seconds. You know, we got into this thinking we were going to review movies and TV shows and they were all going to be good. And the thing is, you know, people want to listen to something that is positive, right? You, you kind of want to listen to positive reinforcement. A lot of people like to sit in that echo chamber and hear themselves bounce off the walls. Um, we just can't provide that. It's, we've been just getting one bad movie after another. They just bad scores. I mean, not just from us, but from other people. The only one that got a good score is Avengers Endgame. And we, well, I just didn't like it. Roland recommended it as a, as a watch. But most of the things we have to say have been negative so far. And it's just not our fault. Game of Thrones, why did the last season have to suck? Right? Why did the last season have to suck? We can't say anything good about it. We can't. We almost. It's hard just to finish. And I'm sure other people are in the same spot. You know. We have a Game of Thrones podcast. And I don't even want to. I don't even want to finish it. It's so bad. I just want to. I just want to imagine. In my own mind. How it finished. All those. Moments will be lost in time like tears in rain
Yeah.